Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, it's time to get old school. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring, back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains. There ain't no hoss like the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller. What's up, Ron, my man? What's going on? Oh, man, it's a, it's beautiful. Uh, got a lot of snow on the ground here. It's just been here for a couple of days. Uh, wow. Uh, it's amazing, man. Uh, you know, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't experienced this very much, man. Uh, living up in Knoxville is a little different than living about, uh, <laughs> 50, 60 miles, uh, east of there in the mountains. And, uh, Geez, we get a lot more snow, and it's, wow, beautiful. So well, I'm really enjoying it, man. That's so. awesome. I'm wondering, do the bears hibernate? Do you have any idea about that? Do you see the bears when, when you get really cold like this? Haven't seen the bear in probably uh, uh, close to two months. Oh. So, yeah, I got a feeling they're, they're hibernating somewhere. Yeah, well, uh, well, look. If you're out there, if you're out there hiking and you see a little, you see a little, maybe a little cave, just stick your head in there and check on them, Ron. Oh yeah, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that Brutus does that, man, in the book. Oh my God, no. <laughs> Brutus, Brutus finds himself one. Okay, you know, and, uh, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it, it'd be yeah. a bad place to be. I think. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> You don't want to wake up a sleeping bear, I don't um, think. You probably, know. probably not. All right, so I was wondering how we start off today, Ron. And maybe we start by mentioning the tremendous reaction from fans around the world to the last two studcasts where we rode into 1978. We've gone back almost exactly 44 years for each of these last two studcasts. For the first time ever, we're building from the ground up another Southeastern wrestling company. So Studcast have always been great, a, a fun ride, of course, just discovering what was going on in Southeastern Knoxville every week. But now every week, we're also riding into a second territory as well. So you got to be excited. And you had to be excited back in the day when this was happening too, Stud. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, of course I was. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's kind of lighting me up again, man. Uh, just uh, sitting in a... Uh, and, uh, and doing these uh, because, uh, you know, it takes me back in time. And, uh, you know, uh, there was nobody in the sport at that time or any other time that really that I'm aware of that was expanding their territory, but not doing it by just adding cities to their existing states, 
but by building an entirely new territory in other states. You know, so uh, it wasn't commonplace for an owner of a territory to, uh, to get another one and decide he's going to separate the two and have two different territories. Hmm. So I, I may be enjoying this actually, Dave, uh, maybe even more than the listeners are sometimes. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, I'm serious. You know, each episode kind of takes me back to these days that we're going to be talking about. And, uh, and I think I, I'm getting as excited about talking about it as I was to actually do it maybe 44 years ago. Wow. Okay. As if what's going on here now every week isn't enough. You're still building wrestling experiences for fans around the world. Your YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind, is exploding worldwide in popularity. You're rewinding wrestling, not only on each of these studcasts, but every day on Southeastern Rewind, it's what it is. It's a rewind. Your Continental Championship Wrestling TV shows from 1985 and USA TV shows from 1988 are really the talk of YouTube. You're to be commended, especially since you produced you produced hundreds of TV wrestling shows for years that other YouTube channels have been showing as if they owned them. Listen, and you and I have talked about this for a long time, So, but does it bother you that other people are using your product on YouTube? No, no. You know, I guess maybe in a way it should, you know, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of flatter, flattering in a way too, you know, so... I'm not upset by the fact, that's for sure. And uh, and I, it was me that chose to leave the sport in 1988, you know, and I had built four different wrestling companies by then, starting in 1974 all the way up to 1988. All of them were successful, and uh, many people say uh, way ahead of their time. But what I was doing was uh, pretty much uh, a lot of it had never been done before in the sport. So luckily I've been able to find some never-before sh- continental and USA TV shows because I'm out there now looking for these things. And, uh, and I can add that to my content. And I have a lot of my own content on this uh, Rewind, Southeastern Rewind. Mm-hmm. I produce my own specials and I produce stud stories uh, for the Rewind channel that, uh, heck, only I can produce these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It comes from my my background and uh, yeah. from my thoughts and what I what I know about wrestling and uh, and I guess I know a little bit about it. So an example of that's the NWA World Championship Series with the facts and the stories and s- some of the actual matches from the eleven NWA champions. Man, I wrestled in my career. I don't know a lot of guys in their career that wrestled eleven different guys that held the world championship. And uh, that series in itself is pretty darn unique. And I also do stud stories about my own family, which I come from the oldest and the largest uh, in the sport. So, you know, I got a lot of my own family and I talk about my background and some of them, uh, my personal life experiences, uh, you know, and and, uh, just being a part of the greatest sport on earth, man, I, I have so much to say about it and so many stories to tell. So the last 10 studcasts are on there, too. You know, the last two, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, they've set records, man. They, <laughs> I'll tell you, we are really cranking up around the world. And uh, number 231 and 232 have both broken all-time records. And every Wednesday, fans out there, uh, you can find your studcast right here. If uh, that's where you'd like to go, go to Southeastern Rewind. And uh, we got them for you right there. 
Oh, absolutely. You're on your if it's a if it's a popular podcast location, you're on there with the Studcast. And that's one of the things that I've had a lot of fun doing and keeping up with is the analytics from it. Who's watching and where are they? And keeping up with how many folks are watching through SoundCloud, how many are watching through the other outlets like, uh, well, any any uh, any podcast outlet, whether it's Spotify or Stitcher, uh, you're on all of those. So you're really knocking it down. All right. And speaking of new ones, of course, I want to know where we're writing today in this episode, number 233, because I've been looking forward to what you said we were going to hear this week, the details of you meeting, and it's a meeting you had 44 years ago with WKRG TV station in Mobile, Alabama. Those are those are famous call letters, by the way. So are we going to get an idea of the presentation you made that day? So I, I'm kind of curious about that because this was really a big deal and a very important TV station. It was critical for the future of southeastern Pensacola and the whole territory, much like what you had going on in Knoxville. You were trying to kind of make that happen down there. So what was it like? Well, you know, I mean, I was at WBIR in Knoxville, Channel 10. Uh, wow. A big, powerful signal. Went out 150 miles. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, going down here to WKRG, yeah, that's that's basically what we're going to talk about, you know. Uh, and and uh, that's, uh, that's where we're going to begin to ride today, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I love these new today trainings, man, because they, they, uh, they're going to take us back to southeastern Knoxville. Uh, uh, on in the card of January 15th, 1978 in the Coliseum. That's going to be in this one today after we talk about WKRG TV station presentation in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, that card was headlined by a hair versus hair match between my brother, Robert, and Ron, Ron Wright. <laughs> Not that Ron Wright had a lot of hair. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's the main event in that particular event of January 15, 1978. And, uh, you know, we're going to discuss, obviously, the TV that promoted that card. And uh, we'll discuss the results of the matches on that Sunday afternoon and then the attendance <laughs> for the event. And we got a great learning quick question, man. It's a really great one. It came from a Twitter follower. And he asked, uh, who was the toughest Welch of these three, Roy, Herb, or Lester? Hmm. Okay, so I remember that question from the end of last week's studcast. I can hardly wait for that answer, Ron. So I think we're going to ride into South Alabama and into WKRG's TV station in Mobile the third week of January 1978. Am I on it? That's correct, man. Uh, you are right on it. Uh, third week in January, 78. Uh, I was only 30 years old. and uh, But uh, this wasn't my first rodeo, Dave, uh, going to see television people and uh, getting on television stations. I'd really negotiated at that point several, st several stations in the Knoxville area. I'd gotten on every one of them that I'd been to prior to this meeting. Uh, one of them in Johnson City, Tennessee, one in Bluefield, West Virginia, one in Azure, Kentucky, and one in Crossville, Tennessee, between 1974 and 1978. So this, though, was going to be by far the most important TV station yet. This TV station was the largest in Mobile, the biggest market in the new territory that I just uh, bought, uh, Gulf Coast Territory. Its signal was going to cover a second important city there, Pensacola, 
that's actually going to become the home of the Southern Southeastern Territory. So I had a real advantage with this station, though, especially since the manager station of this one was a very good friend of my father. His name was C.P. Persons, and uh, he had made a decision to put wrestling on his station when this television station opened up and went on the air in 1955. And uh, my dad made his first television presentation uh, to C.P. Persons to get on WKRG in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, he'd not uh, he'd not been uh, unhappy with that decision for more than 20 years. CP really really enjoyed wrestling. Uh, he was really really friend, tight friends with my dad, and made many calls for my dad to many to many parts of the country with other TVs that my dad was interested in getting on because CP persons had a big name in the television industry, and so he after 20 years. Uh, he was satisfied with this, but about the mid-70s, somewhere in the mid-1970s, uh, the Gulf Coast Wrestling Territories fan base began to fade. And uh, he had taken wrestling off the station entirely mm. in the summer of 1977. Uh, losing that TV, and uh, when he did, he lost two major markets. He lost Mobile and Pensacola. Mm -hmm. That kind of spelled the doom of Gulf Coast Wrestling. Yeah, seems like it. Wow. So, so I didn't show up at WKRG TV empty-handed, though. Uh, you know, in recent studcast number two thirty-one, a couple studcasts ago, I had built that southeastern Knoxville TV show around the two-ring battle royal, triple chance battle royal, and uh, I did it with this particular television presentation in mind when I did that show and I put it together way back uh, forty-four years ago. So I didn't know what to expect so far as the who other than CP persons I'm going to be presenting to that day. Every presentation that you make to these TV stations was different, uh, especially as far as what departments of the station they got to get involved. So the big conference table at WKRG that day was full. Hmm. So, you know, I, I could tell. Uh, and you go around in these meetings. I like to shake guys' hands and introduce myself personally. And they all always tell you what department they're in and mm -hmm. what they uh, manage. And so this big conference table was full and uh, they were all there. I, I'd already given the huge blue box uh, that the two inch tapes back in those days the, weighed about 75 pounds. Mm -hmm. Big old huge tapes came in a blue box. I'd given the show from Knoxville that I wanted them to watch, gave it to someone at the main desk, and it had already been sent back to the production department. What are you so, what are you wearing for this? I mean, you got a suit on for this? What's Oh what? yes, sir, my man. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, this ain't a this ain't a casual affair. You We're know, there. I mean, uh, uh, I was probably dressed more better than anybody there. Well, I was going to say this was all suits on everybody, basically. Suits was everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. you're okay. talking to uh, a big station, uh, been on the air for many many years, the biggest well, along that entire Gulf Coast there, and uh, you know, I wanted to make a good impression, so. You, I was I was dressed dressed for the occasion. You had uh, done this before, so did that help with the nerves? You did you have a pretty good idea of what you were going to do? Were you relaxed about it? What was it like? I was relaxed about it as I could possibly be because I knew I was the best prepared for this presentation that I had ever been. Hmm. You know, because I had delivered to them a tape that was going to 
they'd blow their minds. Wow. Were they going to watch it? Were they going to watch that whole thing? That's what we did. This big, huge conference table. And on the wall uh, <laughs> is mounted a huge screen. And they roll that tape in the back. And everybody at that table sees it right there. Oh, my God. So you had to be like, yeah, let's just get the tape rolling because this is going to sell itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so and, and, and CP, he got right to it. You know, I mean, you know, they, they, they I didn't expect uh, you normally you're going to get luckily you're, you're lucky to get 30 minutes. So CP got right to it, man. And we started out. He started out. Uh, we had a brief discussion about what my TV shows were airing in the, in the Knoxville, Knoxville area what other shows other than wbir and they were familiar with that station because it was a big hoss of a station in tennessee and he asked about the ratings and i don't think he was expecting me to bring any books <laughs> with me you know right. because honestly dave a lot of territory owners at that time frame they didn't understand the significance of the books and they didn't know how to read the numbers or what the numbers even meant and you're talking about Arbitron or Nielsen books, ratings books. I'm talking about the Arbitron and Nielsen books. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, and when yeah. I gave him the February books of 1977, I couldn't give him 78 February because we were a month ahead of that time frame. But I picked the 1977 February book because it was in the same time frame exactly as a year earlier. Uh, and, uh, and I slid them over there to him and he looked at them. And I could tell he wasn't expecting any Arbitron or Nielsen books. You know? mm -hmm. and, I, and I said, I could also tell by watching him read it. And, uh, you know, I already had the, I had the pages folded down. I had it easy for him to get mm -hmm. right to the meat of the matter, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and uh, so I could tell by his face, man, when he saw it was a 70 share. A <laughs> 70 a like, 70 share. Are you kidding me? Wow. You know, and then that during that hour time slot. So he kind of shook his head and he and he did a little double take after he after he looked at it again. And then he passed it across the table. And I knew who he was passing it to was his sales manager. <laughs> Kaching. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And the sales manager had the same reactions as old CP. God, they had to be thinking. Like, oh they, yeah, they had to be thinking. This is not a knucklehead wrestler. Wrestler, wrestler. This guy is in a suit, and he's really got his stuff together. So, oh, so you know, and in fact, uh, you know, CP. Then he asked me, "Is the sales manager looking at the book?" He says, uh, uh, "You know," he says, "Can you confirm that seventy share the book?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I said, uh, "Well, Mister Persons, uh, <laughs> it's in the book." You know, and I, and I didn't write it in there, you know, so, and, you know, so then I said, yeah, I can confirm it. And I added then, man, because this mm. is my shot, man. This is my presentation. I got to hit him with all the cannons, man. Yeah. So I added right then. I said, you know, we've only been on that station for two years. Mm -hmm. And the, I said that share in the latest book uh, that we have, the latest book, the November book of just 1977 that just ended, I said, we're now at an 80 share. Good God. And I added spots, started selling when we came to the station for $40. And I said, now they're selling for 300 Wow. And they're all sold out for every show. And I said, there's a waiting list to get into the show. 
Wow. They said, we're the only show on that station that has a waiting list. And that's, and, uh, and I'll never look, forget the look he exchanged between the station manager and the sales manager then. They was like, holy cow. Whoa. And, and an 80s <laughs> share, for folks that don't understand, an 80s share is 80% of all TVs in that town are turned to your channel during yeah. your time period. During that time period, yeah. 80%, which means basically, you know, four out of five people that are watching TV or watching wrestling. Good God. Yeah. You know, so then, then he's, you know, he, he proceeded with the, with the way it worked and he asked him down, you know, and the, to get the call back to control room. He said, roll the tape. And, uh, boy, there wasn't a sound made at that table day for an hour. I mean, the totally unique man, the way that program started had that totally unique computer generated opening man where the wrestlers, would, they actually move into the, in the <laughs> opening of the mm -hmm. show. And then it starts out with a chroma key, steel frame, big shot on the huge, beautiful screen. And uh, while that shot's on the screen, the screen changed backgrounds right in front of their eyes three different backgrounds wow they watched bang 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 uh four live matches were in the show they had lots of wrestling in each one of those matches and two of those matches were championship matches and all of that took place in front of an absolutely wild studio audience that just were they sounded like uh, a thousand people in there instead of 200 you know then i then i rolled them and then when it rolled, <laughs> they watched everything. They didn't stop anything. They didn't fast forward through anything. They were all mesmerized. And, this, mm. and then I had this special personality profile that we, we had shot specifically for this TV station when we were shooting it. Mm -hmm. And that's when we had the two ring battle royal. And I sent Les down there in the middle of the day with the floor empty and the two rings sitting there. And I had him walk around the rings and explaining to fans at home. We showed this on the profile in Knoxville, but they're seeing it in Mobile, Alabama. And they got the explanation of what these two ring battle royals are all about and how they work. And then Les got into two rings and interviewed former stars. And some of those guys were like Don Carson and guys that had been there yeah. many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. And they were recognizable to these fan, these these television people. Yeah. They knew who these guys were. You know, and then, and then this thing ended with a jaw-dropping brief shot. I had them throw in of what the crowd was on that event. So they saw 6,000 people going crazy in that same building they saw empty with the two rings in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the show also contained instant replays, four of them. One after every match, it contained interviews from two different studios. It had a split screen on one of the matches. It had the Greek wrestling statue bumpers uh, rotating around on a turntable uh, right before every commercial break yep. we went into for the television stations. And then it closed with credits rolling for instant replays from the show. Wow. Okay, so you had to, and when it was over, you had to wake everybody up, right? <laughs> I mean, well, no, happily, I did not have to wake anybody up. So, I mean, how long? The gun. Uh, what I expected was they were going to, you know, CP is going to say, okay, roll that forward to the next match, whatever. Yeah. Like I said, we sat there for an hour. 
They watched so, every minute of it. So the full hour, they sat through everything. They sat okay. through the full hour. Okay. I'd never had a station do that before. Wow. Okay. So, so the nothing, uh, nothing to, to be said uh, uh, until about uh, thirty seconds after it ended. I mean, you know, nobody said anything. Uh, you know, show ended. It was totally quiet. And, and I got a little bit concerned right then, you know, but but I really knew that I'd, I'd give them everything that, <laughs> that I could. And, uh, you know, so finally CP spoke up and, and he, he said to me, he said, uh, I think I can speak for all of us. He says, I've never seen any local television production of any kind with that much quality in it. I was wow. like, oh, well, that's a pretty good start, you know. He said, I've never also seen a 70 share on a local program before. <laughs> and that's pretty important to him right there. Yeah. 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 Said, and I've never heard of any kind of local TV produced program that can get anywhere near $300 per commercial spot. Now I'm interested. Yeah. And he says, then he says, can I get the name and phone numbers of the station manager <laughs> from you? He says, I, I'd like to just talk to him and just confirm that <laughs> this yeah. is real. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. This is what I, what I see is what I really see. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. and then he ended up by saying, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Fuller, he says, if I can verify any of what I've seen here and heard today, he said, all you have to do is tell me when you want to start. On WKRG. Good. I mean, it was great. Oh, I'm telling you. Wow. That, I mean, that's got to be the best today's training that we've ever done. I can't wait to hear what's coming from Southeastern Pensacola next. So let's go back to Knoxville. Let's go for the card on Sunday, January 15th of 78. Did I get it right? Yep. January fifteenth, right. nineteen seventy-eight. It's the third Sunday afternoon card in January. We're going to have five in that month, and uh, I got an opening match, which is a great one. It's a babyface match between Mike Stallings and he's wrestling against Roy Lee Welch. Uh, second match was Ricky Gibson, and he's wrestling against one of the Samoans named Reno, uh, and their last name, both the Samoans, is Tafuli. And uh, Tony Charles is wrestling Tio Tefuli, the other Samoan, and on that card. And then there was another Southeastern tag match between champions Don Carson and Assassin, managed by Ron Wright, against my brother, Robert, and Thunderbolt Patterson, who is a big-time star in a lot of different territories, a great, great black wrestler, uh, one of the best ever. Uh, then there was a special event uh, next on that card, the war between Chola Duke and Ronnie Garvin wasn't over yet. You know, Garvin kind of ended up stealing the money again in the in this uh, this match between him and <laughs> him and uh, Joe. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, that they're, they're back at it again. Uh, you know, Garvin's now uh, stole the money the first time, stole the money the second time, and he's going to go at it again, have another opportunity. Hmm. Uh, but uh, there's no money this time. Garvin's going to keep the money, but Joe don't care. Joe just wants to be a DQ match so he can beat the hell out of Garvin. <laughs> so a Southeastern title match had Jimmy Golden in a return match with the champion, the Mongolian Stomper, who was obviously managed by Gorgeous George Jr., and Golden had won the week before, and uh, but uh, this time, Golden won by DQ. He couldn't win the belt that way, so this time it's a no DQ. 
and uh, and it's uh, destined to have a winner, man. So the main event for this night was a hair versus hair match between the man who had plenty of hair, my brother Rob, versus the man who had almost no hair, Ron Wright. And uh, there had to be a winner in this match. It was no DQ, uh, and somebody was going to get their head, their hair cut. And uh, so uh, it's pretty darn good card, man, for 15th of January, 1978. <laughs> so really another great card. Can't wait to hear who leaves that day with no hair. I mean, we know Ron Wright's situation anyway. So what was on the TV show the day before this big card? Well, it opened with Les uh, running down the TV card, uh, same way as usual. Then the cameras kind of backed away from the close-up shot of Les, and uh, there was my brother Robert sitting with him at the set. And behind them on that huge uh, set was a still shot of Ron Wright, uh, and he had a pair of scissors uh, that he had brought onto the TV the last week on last week's TV show. And uh, there he was cutting a big chunk of Robert's hair with those scissors. Uh, and in the background, you could see the assassin and Don Carson, and they're both working Ricky Gibson over, man, while uh, Ron Wright has his chance to cut some of Rob's hair. So Les right away jumps right into it, you know, and he asked Rob how he felt about uh, this added main event for the next afternoon. Uh, Ron Wright's hair against his hair in a match that must have a winner. And one of the two of them, two, one of the two of them is going to leave with no hair. So Robert got the studio involved right away. You know, <laughs> he said, uh, "Ron Wright doesn't have any hair anyhow, Les." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the studio popped right off. So then, so then Les asked, "Why all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Rob? Do you think uh, Ron Wright is so focused on getting all your hair gone?" You know, so Rob said, you know, he says, you know, basically, you know, I, I think it's got something to do with pure jealousy He says <laughs> because Ron Wright don't have any hair. On yeah, his head. yeah. Yeah. You know, and he says, and, you know, maybe if Ron Wright won, uh, he could plan on uh, having a wig made for himself out of my hair. <laughs> and the crowd <laughs> popped again. So, you know, so Les kept digging, man. Uh, he was enjoying it. So he asked Rob, uh, why it agreed to a hair versus hair match against Ron Wright, you know, especially since, you know, the way he put it was something like, you know, literally uh, uh, he don't have anything to lose and, uh, <laughs> and you got nothing to gain, right? <laughs> you don't have any hair anyway. So Rob says it was kind of because of what Ron Wright had done to work his way back into Southeastern. And uh, he said, you know, the fans, uh, after hating Ron Wright for years, got behind him. Uh, in 1974 when Southeastern came. And uh, then for no reason, Wright put this diabolical plan together, man. Uh, and he'd been hiding and scheming behind the scenes. He brought Don Carson and the assassin back to Southeastern and put them together. And then he, you know, he said the two of them called it a deal with the devil, right? And he said because Ron Wright turned out to be the devil, his best friend, Bob Armstrong, and, and his brother, me, you know, we're gone from Southeastern now, mm -hmm. both of them in less than one month, you know. And he said he, he missed me and Bob. And he said, so did the fans of Southeastern miss Bob Armstrong and my brother. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then he said, again, he said, the fans agreed. 
and uh, they liked what he was saying, man, and they cheered to let him know it. And he had made a very valid point that had been overlooked for almost three months since Bob and I had left. Hmm. So Bob's kind of on a roll at this point, and the fans are really backing him here. So he continued by saying someone needed to do something about it. He said taking Ron Wright's hair from his head was just a good beginning. He said, and he got another pop, and he said, sending Ron Wright home to Kingsport, Tennessee, permanently would be even better. (laughs) The studio erupted on that one, and he had him on fire by then. So he finished saying the next day he'd be the happiest man in that part of the country. He and his great partner, Thunderbolt Patterson, were going to take the southeastern belts from Carson and the Assassin, and then he was going to humiliate Ron Wright by having his head shaved, and do something no one would believe could be done. Well, geez, Les is on board like the studio audience by this mm-hmm. time. And, you know, and he, so he asked, obviously, well, what could you do to Ron Wright that no one could believe could be done? Right. Rob said, I'm going to make Ron Wright uglier than he ever was. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, that can only happen if he lost all his hair. <laughs> and the studio exploded again. So, <laughs> Back in the dressing rooms, they had the monitors, right? And Ron Wright's obviously watching this, and the fans are really getting uh, behind Rob. And he, so he, he can't stand it. So suddenly, man, he just appears, man, on the left side of the set. He's furious, man, and he's being held back by Carson and the assassin. <laughs> and he's, he's kind of out of control, and he's screaming at Robert, man, and so Rob jumps up from his seat. Obviously, there are all three of them there. He is by himself with Les. And Les moved around Robert, and he got between uh, the three of them and Rob. And uh, Thunderbolt Patterson is sitting over there in Studio B watching it on the monitor. Well, he just came through the little uh, separation in the wall there, and he got on Rob's behind Rob's back so hmm. he could watch his back. Mm-hmm. So now we've we we got a show here that's less than five minutes old. And and there got we got total bedlam going on at the set. So so Les was being pushed and shoved, and uh, he you know he's trying to stop what was about to happen, man. So he yelled for Phil Rainey to ring the bell for the first match, and uh, luckily old Phil uh, did exactly that. And uh, you know uh, Les knew that uh, Carson and the Assassin uh, were in that first match, so it was a good way of getting those guys out of there. And Les screamed, even at Carson and the assassin, he said, get Ron Wright to the ring. So they drug him away from the set, but he was still yelling at Robert as they were dragging him away. Mm-hmm. So Les apologized to Rob and Thunderbolt, and he asked if they wouldn't mind to please leave the set also, because Les didn't, didn't like to lose control of his show, and he he lost it early in this one. So so he said, do you guys don't mind if y'all just go ahead and leave the set, you know, because uh, we want to get the show started. So they disappeared. Hmm. So Phil Rainey announced the Southeastern Tag Champions, Carson and the Assassin, and they were both already fired up and <laughs> by what was going on. And they just attacked their two opponents. And Ron Wright didn't pay attention to him anyway. He headed right straight back to the set with Les. And he was still raging mad. And, uh, and he, he told us, you know, that nobody calls me ugly. 
<laughs> and then he screamed, he just screamed real loud on the microphone. He said, I'm a damn good looking man. <laughs> what? What? Ron Wright said that. Ron Wright says, I'm a damn good I'm a, I can you get this I'm a damn good looking man. Look at me, Ron. Look at me. <laughs> so, and, then, and his mouth never stopped, man. Even after his team finished off their opponents and won the match and went to the set, they still had to try to calm him down. So Les was pretty much <laughs> extremely irritated, man, yeah. at this point. He'd, he'd lost control of his show. and he, So he threw it to a commercial break. Yeah, I couldn't get to the break fast enough. So, man, that's that's quite an opening for a TV show. So what happens next? Well, so uh, Rob and Patterson, they went into Studio B for their for the first interview. And, uh, and wow, what a wild two minutes of an interview that was. You know, they were only separated by a piece of a wall between the two studios and uh it, it was wild it was a wild too it was so wild that uh, before the interview time was over les asked both teams to leave the studios both studios they asked carson and them get off my set and robert and them to get out of this studio i'd never seen that happen before all right so but did they leave Oh yeah, man. Uh, you know, but uh, but the next match did, didn't change things any. You know, Les didn't find that this uh, settled the situation because Mongolian Stomper, man. I guess he and Gigi had been back there watching this on the monitors, and Mongolian Stomper just charged into the studio, and gorgeous George Jr. behind him, man, like on his coattails, man, and he entered the <laughs> ring like a wild man with no introduction, and the way this TV had started, and Stomper now on the rampage. Well, you can imagine old Phil Rainey, man. He hit the floor. He hit the. He ran for the hills outside Knoxville, man. I was surprised he didn't leave the building. So Les could be heard by the director and I upstairs. The people in the studio couldn't hear it. I guess the people at home heard it. Uh, he was kind of talking to himself, and he said something about what the hell is going on here today. Oh my god! <laughs> and I got caught on a hot mic. So, oh you know, it's like. Me and me and uh, Ken Cade are looking at each other, kind of laughing. You know, Les is not having a good day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so gorgeous George Jr. He he did the same thing Ron Wright had done earlier. He made a beeline, went straight to the set with Les too. Poor old Les sitting hmm. there now. He's got Gigi on his back, and Gigi started screaming about southeastern wrestling and the officials trying to take everything they could. Uh, do everything they could to get the Stomper to lose his belt. And, uh, you know, championship match after championship match. And meanwhile, in the ring, Stomper had one of his two opponents bleeding, and he just kept refusing to cover him. Uh. He pulled him up twice uh, before even allowing the referee to count. Then he threw him out of the ring and then attacked the other opponent. And Gigi never stopped his tirade about the Southeastern officials. So <laughs> Les finally forced him to go back to the ring, you know, and he said something to him like, you need to get up there and take control of your animal, your Mongolian stalker, you know? So, so uh, you know, Les, like I said, he wasn't having a good day. So the still rampaging stomper man, after he collected his win, he left two bloody bodies laying there in the ring. He came straight to the set. Huh. And, and <laughs> I'd never seen him do this before. He, came, he got right in Les's face, and he made one of those noises like he goes, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can just see that. I mean, so, oh, I mean. Boy, wow. 
what what was going on, dude? I mean, that's crazy, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked myself the same question, man, and, and so did the director, man. <laughs> we were high above the action here and watching it, man, and I think uh, both of these heel combos, man, I think the problem was we started off with two heel combos out there, and, uh, and they got to competing with each other, you know, and uh, they got to wanting to see who could cause the most havoc out there. So, and, and since they were wrestlers, they were probably also having a good time at Les's expense. Too. <laughs> <laughs> they were having some fun with Les. So, so I'm sure Les was glad half of the personality profile had already been pre-recorded because that was the next thing to be, come up. <laughs> and that uh, surely the mayhem wasn't going to continue, man, like it had been live in the studio. Okay, I'll tell you what, I'm ready for a break myself, Stud. This has been a really wild first half of a TV show and a podcast too at that. Who is going to be on the upcoming profile? Who you got set for that? Well, it's going to be Joe LaDuke and Ronnie Garvin. Okay. Oh, that's cool. All right. So thank goodness it is break time. And while we take a break, remember you've got time to find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube. You ring our bell, we'll ring yours, and make sure you miss nothing. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind as well. All right, so we'll take a break, and we'll come back with the personality profile. It's going to be a good one right here. Many are not aware Ron Fuller Welch is more than a wrestler and businessman. He is also a highly acclaimed writer. He has a fantastic novel called Brutus. Many compare it to the legendary Jaws. It has more than 50 five-star reviews. Find it at Amazon Brutus Novel or his website, tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. It is a terror-filled roller coaster ride into the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, the most visited park in America. A famous lion escapes from the zoo, located just miles away. The world is soon captivated by the massive search as bodies disappear. Characters from three continents combine their efforts to stop the carnage. Read the reviews and purchase it. Amazon Brutus Novel. Or get the autographed copy for only $29.99 with free shipping. TNstud.com. Click Stud Store and find the beast. You're in for a wild ride and maybe a sequel. Hey, welcome back. It is another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. I'm David Summers. It's old school wrestling. And here we go with episode number 233. And part two. All right, Ron, it's been a wild rodeo ride so far. So where did Joe LaDuke and Ronnie Garvin take us in the personality profile? Well, the Ronnie Garvin portion of the profile was pre-recorded, done earlier in the day after interviews from other stations. Uh, we had due to interviews for other stations in other markets. And uh, so the profile was cut earlier and the profile had a, uh, Continuing angle. Uh, it was about uh, it was about built basically around a continuing angle that began on the two ring triple chance battle rule from two weeks earlier than this show was being recorded. Now, obviously, we had video footage of the final tag match from that battle royal two weeks earlier uh, that was going to decide the two winners and the splitting of the ten thousand prize money. Uh, Garvin and Les uh, they watched and they talked over that video. And Garvin explained why he made his partner and already bloody Joe LaDuke at that point start the final tag match against the assassin and Don Carson. He then watched 
and pretty well <laughs> made it clear he was enjoying himself while he was watching uh, as he was refusing to tag out with Joe Duke several times. He just left the ring, walked off into the crowd, and Joe had to go back and continue it. And mm-hmm. then it showed Joe finally beating the assassin. And uh, then it showed uh, Ronnie Garvin jumping off the top rope and Joe's back after the three count. And then it showed him taking this $5,000 check for himself from the ref, from the referee. And then it showed him going and stealing Joe's check from the referee and then end up kicking the referee in the head before he left the ring. So, uh, so then Joe's Joe, well, you know, uh, he, he, it was his turn. So his part of the profile was done live. So he's there and everybody can see him. He's sitting right there by the audience and he explained and he commented not upon, not only upon Garvin's piece of the video, but what had happened the last Sunday afternoon, six days earlier, when the same two guys met to see who was going to get that $10,000 prize that Garvin had basically stolen. And Garvin outsmarted him again. And again, he walked away with the entire $10,000 check. So uh, Joe obviously was extremely upset because he was not given another chance by Garvin to get to win the money again. He got no more chances, but he was happy with the fact that he did have another match with Garvin the next day, and it was going to be a no-DQ match and that he planned on getting even. (laughs) So, you know, Les had seemingly survived a part of this TV show without undue stress. (laughs) It had been the first part, kind of, for him, you know, and uh, and he he thought, and I thought uh, that it's going to be cool here until Joe got up from his chair. And he went over by the studio wall, and he picked up his axe. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> you're kidding, right? So, not, not wait, not another blood oath, cutting, cutting of his arm like he did on the summer before, right? <laughs> well, you know, that's exactly what Bill Kincaid, the director of the show, uh, sitting beside me upstairs, yeah, watching all this. That's exactly what we were saying. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> and we were also thinking that. So uh, I, I, the look on Les's face was priceless. They got a close up of him, and Joe's bringing the, the axe back to his chair. And, and he started he started begging Joe not to do it again. Even before Joe got back to the chair to sit down, he goes, you know, and that, as if things weren't edgy enough on this show already, the studio crowd, they groaned in anticipation too because they didn't uh-huh. really want to see him do that to his arm again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so what he did the summer before, uh, after the concrete block, Busting moment. That's why he did it because of the concrete block incident. His time spent in the hospital. Uh, that deal with the axe was one of the most terrific things I'd ever seen. Man. Mm. So, so Les couldn't stand the tension of the moment uh, as Joe sat back down with the axe. So, so he called for the director, man, <laughs> to close out the profile before Joe had a chance to do anything else. Uh, and then, you know, then there was a kind of a collective sigh of relief from not only Les, but from the studio crowd and even the guys in the production department. Hell, I even mean, was like, wow, geez, I'm glad he shut that down. So, wow. All right. So at least fans had a chance to get their breath, right? I mean, so what was what was next? Well, yeah. And, you know, uh, gosh, we had no idea kind of what was going to be coming next. So Les went back to the set and, uh, 
and for a welcome change of pace at that. So because Jimmy Golden came to the ring. And uh, obviously the fans cheered. I think they cheered even a little louder than usual because they were, <laughs> it had been a very tense show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think it was a release of their tension from the show, actually. So Jimmy got a quick win and a big roar of approval from the studio. And he had already interviewed earlier in the show with Gorgeous George Jr. and Stomper talking about his return match the next day for the Southeastern Championship. This interview that came up then was Tony Charles and Ricky Gibson uh, at the set with Les. And in the other studio, Studio B, was the two Samoans, T.O. and uh, Reno Tafuli. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've got a pretty calm little situation here then. Okay, so... All right. It's kind of building, it seems like. So what happens next? Well, out of the shadows, that was the last match of the deal, man. On, so out of the shadows of the hero dressing room, man, came a guy that hadn't wrestled on TV in months, Ron Wright. Oh. He was on his way to the ring. And as he passed by the desk, he screamed at last. He says, wait till you get a look at this. <laughs> I mean, I should have known it was, it was not going to last for long. So what was he wanting fans to get a look at? Or do we well, want to know? <laughs> well, it wasn't going to take long until everybody found out. I can tell you that, you know, and he and his opponent got introduced. And within a matter of minutes after the bell rang, Ron Wright went into his tights and he it. produced I, his infamous I chisel. I knew it. I knew it was there. Okay. <laughs> and again, 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 man, almost automatically, the stress of the show was revealed in the faces, fans, the faces of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Cameras got shot to the people, and Ron Wright broke out his chisel, and everybody went, oh, God, no. And uh, there was, uh, you know, and his, his chisel was a familiar tool of terror man in that yeah. part of the country yeah so referee mac mcmurray you know uh, being really uh ahead of the game man he didn't hesitate he just rang the bell before wright had a chance to use it you know but that didn't stop ron man he was determined and he had locked the young wrestler he had uh, his opponent and he nailed him and and uh and uh, just as the referees having the bell rung it didn't make any difference at that point so Rob was standing uh, in Studio B watching the match and, uh, and watching what was happening. So Ron went to hit the kid with it again. So Rob shot up in the ring and he grabbed uh, Ron Wright's hand that had the chisel on it. And they fought over it. And Ron crawled under the bottom rope and he got away and he managed to get out of there with his chisel. So Rob helped the young wrestler to his feet. Thunderbolt Patterson brought a towel from the dressing room and uh, they, uh, they put it over the kid's head. Uh, wow. You know, he had a big cut over his right eye. He mm -hmm. had that chisel. He knew he was going to have some stitches probably. So Rob went to the set, and uh, Thunderbolt took the injured wrestler back to the dressing room. Hmm. And then so Ron Wright appeared in Studio B by himself. And uh, Rob's at the set with Les. And uh, Ron Wright's laughing at Rob's attempt to take away his chisel. And he did something that I'd never seen him do before. Mm -hmm. He took his chisel out and he held it up to the camera and, uh, and, uh, and he, and he, he showed it to everybody. He oh. showed the, the metal on it, the piece of metal on it. And, uh, and it had fresh blood for this young kid on it, uh. you know, and he bragged that in exactly 24 hours from now, he said, the matches are going to begin in the Coliseum. Mm -hmm. And that the last match of the day 
was all that mattered. Hmm. He said, you know, he, he, he laid it out, man. He said, you know, he, he said, I, I'm proud to have sent both Bob Armstrong and Ron Fuller out of Southeastern that tomorrow two things are definitely going to happen in that Coliseum. Robert Fuller is definitely going to bleed big time. And then they're going to shave his head, he said. It was the first step, he said, in sending another Fuller packet huh. from Southeastern. Hmm. So I'd never heard a studio boo so loud, man. I mean, they they were they were really hot and right at this point. So uh, Rob sitting there, and he was short and sweet with his. You know, he promised the fans that that uh, if the chisel came out tomorrow, Ron Wright was going to be the only person to get hit with it, and that he was going to do what he said earlier in the show. He was going to make sure Ron Wright was uglier tomorrow than he had ever been. <laughs> and then he was going to send pictures of Ron Wright and his bloody bald head to both Bob Armstrong and me. All right, so this has got to be one of the best TV shows. I mean, at least crowd reaction-wise and probably the folks at home, too, in Southeastern's history. So what, what happens the next day? Well, the opening match was one of the best babyfaces matches, babyface matches I had ever seen in Southeastern. Uh, Roy Lee Welch and Mike Stallings, they wrestled to a, an absolutely thrilling 20-minute time limit draw. And I kept loving these babyface matches because the fans got so into them. Uh, it was a sign that uh, wrestling was really uh, the still the name on the marquee. They shook hands at the end of it, and they got a standing ovation from that huge crowd. It was really beautiful. Ricky Gibson beat Reno Tafuli. Uh, Tony Charles uh, won over T.O., his brother, Tefuli. And uh, and then in the Southeastern Tag Championship match, Robert and Thunderbolt won again, but again by disqualification. So obviously they couldn't win the belts. Uh, in the Jola Duke and Ronnie Garvin's no DQ match, it was declared no contest uh, because not much of it took place in the ring. Most of it took place fighting all over the building. And... Uh, it reminded me of a match similar to what LaDuke and Stomper had, man. It was just a bloodbath. Wow. It was a crazy, crazy afternoon. Uh, Jimmy Golden won again by disqualification over the Mongolian Stomper, uh, who was managed by Gorgeous George Jr., but uh, he didn't get the belt because uh, he won by disqualification. So it was time for the main event. Uh, it was a no DQ. Uh, there had to be a winner, hair versus hair between Ron Wright and my brother Rob. And this match was absolutely wild. It was crazy. Uh, Thunderbolt Patterson, Don Carson, and the assassin, all three of them got involved in it before it was over. Uh, Robert won the match right in the middle of the ring. Wow. But that wasn't the end of it. Uh, Robert was about to get his hands on the chisel and use it on Ron Wright. Mm-hmm. But before the barber was able to start Wright's uh, head shaving, because Wright had lost, you know, uh, Larry Cheetah, uh -oh. who is the same guy who on Thanksgiving night had wrestled Rob in a hair versus hair match. And Ron Wright had trained this guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Larry Cheatham showed up out of nowhere. Rob had his back turned to him. Uh, they're about to start cutting Ron Wright's hair. And Larry Cheatham nailed Rob with a chair oh. from behind. And, uh, and uh, so Rob went down, uh, and he, he was knocked out. He didn't get up. So Don Carson went to the barber 
and took the clippers away from him, and he sheared off all of Rob's hair. Whoa, wait a minute. Robert won the match, but he's the one that lost his hair? <laughs> yeah, that's correct, Dave. You know, I mean, he kind of <laughs> won the battle, but he lost the war. You know, uh, yeah, and uh, it was such a hot finish that there was a riot at the end of all of it, and mm. uh, and it took every policeman in the Coliseum to get Ron Wright, Don Carson, the assassin, and Larry Cheatham back to the dressing room. Good God! All right, so I mean, what happens now? I mean, what about Robert's hair? You don't, you don't just put it back. Yeah, yeah, right. You don't, you know. And, and, you know, and, and it was horrible. The way he lost it, even though he won the match, made it even worse. So, you know, all of a sudden now, this hair match, this this team, this has got this tag team feud that Rob and, and, uh, and Patterson has been having with uh, with Ron Wright and his, his guys, uh, Carson and the Assassin. It's kind of turned it into something much more now than just a few, man. This is very personal uh, at this point. Oh, I'll say. All right, so I bet you, you had to have a really good crowd for this. How did how'd you do? Yeah, it was uh, over 5,000, uh, 5,200. 5,200 saw it, and uh, uh, it was a wild, wild afternoon. Wow. All right, so I can't believe what happened in the last match. I guess we need to get we need to get to the learning tree question for this one. It came from a Twitter follower by the name of Mick William 99 and he asked who was the toughest Welch was it Roy Herb or Lester <laughs> That's a great question but that's just a hard one to answer you know I mean uh, uh, this is family we're talking about so uh and, you know, and before we get into it, there was actually a fourth brother in that first generation that this gentleman didn't mention that also wrestled, and his name was Jack. So, uh, you know, uh, he this guy's saying of the first four Welches, who was the toughest? So, uh, so Roy Herb and Jack, uh, uh, and there's, an, there's another odd fact about the family is that uh, Roy Herb and Jack were all three just about the same age. But Lester, their brother, was born almost 20 years after all of them. So uh, so I really don't know a good way to answer this one. You know, uh, Jack Jack didn't have a very long wrestling career. And uh, so, you know, he definitely is not, wasn't the toughest, uh, undoubtedly. He's not really uh, to be considered here. Lester and the other three, all three had long careers. Lester held many titles as did the other two during his 30 plus year career long long career uh, and his most famous title was probably he was the first guy to ever win the the florida heavyweight championship in the 1960s so you know lester was a great wrestler a lot of guts uh uh tough tough guy uh my grandfather roy was the first of all the family in the ring he's the oldest of all the brothers and he taught all three of his brothers how to wrestle. And he also held many titles himself, you know, like Lester had done. And he was legendary. And really, I mean, legendary for being tough and uh, maybe more so for being downright mean sometimes, you know. And he was <laughs> trained by one of the best shooters of all time, the original Dutch Mantel, mm -hmm. uh, a guy of which I speak uh, quite a bit of, you know. And, uh, 
And I think as a fighter and a shooter, uh, Roy was definitely up there with just about any man, period. Uh, Herb, he probably distinguished himself with uh, by winning the biggest title of all of, of all of the family. He was the world junior heavyweight champion for more than five years, undefeated for more than five years, until a bad car wreck forced him to give up the title. Uh, he was able to win the championship back again years later after recovery from the car accident. Uh, he is also, God, should should be uh, uh, recognized as one of the greatest trainers of all time. And uh, the reason is he trained some of the best wrestlers in the history of the sport. He trained Dr. D, David Schultz, hmm. WWE, Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, guy with the slap heard around the world. Yeah, yeah. He trained the honky tonk man, Wayne Ferris, also <laughs> a WWE Hall yeah. of Famer. Yeah, and he trained a third WWE Hall of Famer, Coco Beware. So <laughs> he was heard one of the most admired, respected, and loved wrestlers of his time, man, and and maybe the toughest of the Welches. Uh, now notice, Dave, I said maybe. Uh-huh. You know, and, and Mr. Mick, uh, you only ask about three of us, uh, you know, and I come from the oldest and the largest wrestling family on the planet. And, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I'm kind of glad you didn't throw all the names in there. <laughs> well, maybe that's a pretty good job of tiptoeing around the answer stud. In my opinion, this, this has really been one of the best stud casts yet. I cannot wait for next week. So listen, on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind is where you find everything Ron Fuller Welch, plus Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV wrestling shows. Go there to subscribe, ring the bell icon, and you have found the fastest growing old school YouTube channel. Every time something new is added to the channel, we'll ring your bell. On Facebook, please do not friend request the stud on his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It has a maximum of 5,000 fans, and it's been full for years. To become friends with him on Facebook, simply go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page, or Ron Fuller Welch author page. Like him and follow him there. You automatically become friends that way. All three Facebook pages get the same post and information. So if you're on one, it's like being on all of them. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. Find everything on his website. The website, it's famous, tnstud.com, tnstud.com. Studcast, Super Studcast, his stud store with souvenirs of all kinds, including his tremendous novel, Brutus. Great match videos, a fantastic photo gallery, and more. It's all at tnstud.com. You can literally spend hours at tnstud.com. Okay, so where are we riding next week, Ron? I still have questions about that last match today and what's going to happen with Robert losing his hair that way. Well, I'll tell you, Dave, I think the answer is going to surprise a whole lot of fans, and it's also going to fill buildings more than ever. Uh, so in the, in the next today's training, uh, we'll continue this story of building the southeastern Pensacola territory. Uh, next week, I'm going to talk about the decision that I had to make of whether to try and build the territory there back 
using the older established stars, or did I need to bring in all new ones uh, to Pensacola? Uh, so uh, you know, we're going to get uh, we're going to get another today's training lesson, and we'll also be moving on to January twenty second, nineteen seventy eight. And this Coliseum is going to answer your questions from today, Dave, about what's going to happen. There's going to be hell to pay for what happened to my brother. I can say that. <laughs> and another eye-opening TV will lay out the story. The results of a fantastic card is going to be told, and, and as well as the attendance of that event next week. Uh, the Learning Tree question next week asks, uh, how did you get the ideas for selling buildings out? Where do they come from? So I want to thank everybody for listening today. If you like what we do here, please tell someone about us and uh, take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. Well done, Stud. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.